Well, we have a special treat here at Chapel Street North Aurora today because we get to hear from my good friend and brother, Pastor John Bechtel. He's our executive pastor, so I'm going to invite him up and we're going to pray for him. But before we do, I wanted to give you a glimpse into a side of Pastor John that not everybody gets to have because uh, he does the job that is in the background a lot. The executive pastor is involved in every ministry that goes on here at church, but it's usually either my face or someone else's face that you see most often. So what you don't get to know about Pastor John is that he is a pastor of pastors. And so the reason I'm excited for you to hear from him, I've actually been looking forward to the day that he gets to come and preach at North Aurora. Because Pastor John is such an incredible brother. He loves this church with all of his heart. I get to meet with him every week. And I mentioned earlier, we, we gather here today to learn about the Father heart of God. And there are a few men on this earth that have demonstrated to me the Father heart of God the way that Pastor John has. Uh, and so I am so excited for what God wants to speak to us. So would you join with me in praying for our dear friend, brother, Pastor John? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for my brother John, and thank you for his love for you above all else. God, I thank you that you have put it in his heart to love your church. And so God, I pray today you'd speak to us through him. Lord, as he opens up your word to us, use him. Put your spirit in his heart and in his mouth, Lord, to speak the words of life that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. It is so good to be here. And I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Chapel Street Church, please know that we see you and we pray for you. We thank God for you and the love that you have for Jesus and the impact you're making here. Please know that we pray regularly for you. And we're excited to see what the Lord is, going, is doing and is going to continue to be doing here at Chapel Street North Aurora. Well, this is my first time speaking here, so I'm excited uh, to be here for, for many reasons. Uh, I'm going to introduce you a little bit about myself, but hopefully I'm going to introduce you to a whole lot more about Jesus. I think that's why we're all here. But one of the things you should know about me is that my family loves the 4th of July. My wife Layla is here, and 4th of July comes with a whole set of rules and regulations. We wake up early. There are specific things that you do for breakfast. There's the parade. There are specific things you do to get prepared for lunch. For lunch. You, have, uh, you have to make homemade ice cream, and then you have to go on to fireworks show. At fireworks show. And depending on where it is, um, we might even do a couple different fireworks shows. Uh, it's a big deal. And top that off, our oldest biological daughter, Elizabeth, was born on 4th of July 2000. So 4th of July is a big deal in our home. But I have to confess that probably one of my favorite 4th of July memories uh, didn't happen when I was there. It's something that happened in 2012 in San Diego. Does anybody know what happened in 2012 in San Diego on the 4th of July? Let me show you a, a quick little a video of what happened. And an 18-minute fireworks show went off in 15 seconds. It all blew up. It, the, the, the night became day. And if you could listen to that video. People were in awe. They were terrified. They were in awe. They thought it was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. They didn't know what was going on. <laughs> now, why do I share that story with you? Because I share that story with you, if you'll humor me here for a second. This book is a book that is made up of 66 different books written by 40 different people over a span of about 15 to 1,600 years. And each one of those 66 books, in some way, shape, or form, 
sends up a picture of who Jesus is, gives an illusion or a mention or, a, yeah, a picture of who Jesus is. Now, if you will think of each of those pictures, each of those illusions, each of those mentions to Jesus, either pointing towards him or uh, pointing forwards towards him or pointing back uh, to what he has done, if you think of those as fireworks that are going off in the, in the night sky, we have 1,600 years of the light going into the darkness. And then we have 2,000 years since Jesus came to the earth of that light continuing to go into the darkness. Well, in our text this morning, um, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is an overachiever. The reason I show you that clip is because what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, that Christ hymn. You remember that? The Christ hymn that we looked at? When we heard of who Jesus is, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that's the 2012 fireworks display. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is doing. He wants us to get it all at once. He wants to make sure that we get this blinding, dazzling, all-encompassing description of Jesus. And you know, we think it's so important uh, for us to, to get this that we're memorizing it. So I hope that you're uh, on the journey of memorizing that, this passage with us. I'd like just to read it again today to remind us of who Jesus is. So let's read this together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a 2012 fireworks display of who Jesus is. Paul wants us to make sure that we understand that Jesus really is everything and that Jesus is enough. Then last week we heard, we saw Paul's example. He had captured this vision of who Jesus was, so he gave his everything to make sure that others would know who this Jesus was and become mature in him and know the same Jesus, which leads us to our text today. We're in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Before we turn there, I want you to notice the first word that we have, have in our text today. Therefore. Therefore is always a really important word for you to highlight, to notice, to make, make, uh, pay attention to. Therefore. What's going on? Well, it's really a hinge. It's a pivot in the text. And Paul does this all the time. He says, here's a truth bomb. This is, this is what's true about God, what's true about you. Therefore means you got to do something about it. It's where the rubber meets the road. It, it's where we become doers of the word and not simply hearers. That is what therefore is. So, so Chapel Street Church, North Aurora, we need to buckle up because in light of this 2012 fireworks display of who Jesus is, um, there are some things that are being asked of us, and Paul wants to make sure we get that, that right. So what is Paul's call for us to respond we see the first call in chapters, verses 6 and 7. It's a call to action. We have a call to action. 
in, um, in verses 6 and 7. Let me read those verses to you. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Since you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, what do we do? We walk in him. Note that. Mark that down. We walk in him. But notice when you're saved, you have a free gift of salvation, but you also receive Jesus as he really is. It's not Christ Jesus your friend. It's not Christ Jesus the really nice guy. No, it's Christ Jesus the Lord. The Lord of the universe. He's not just some divine hero or one of the many pantheons of the gods. He's the divine creator of the universe. We just read that. He's the greatest great. He's the best best. He's the most powerful power. And he sustains it all. And it's all his. And he is the one that we're called to walk in. Let's not forget that, who we are walking in. In the New Testament, walking is often used to describe a life of faith. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Sometimes we fall down, we veer off course, but our Father is there to catch us and keep us going. It's this beautiful picture. But notice the nature of this call. Our call is to walk what? In him. We don't walk to get to him. We don't walk for him. We walk in him. Now, you, you might think, and you read this text, you might think Paul is saying, well, there's a specific way I have to walk. There's a certain thing I have to do. There's certain things that I shouldn't do. In other words, it's up to me. If I follow the rules, I'm good. I'm in Christ. I'm responsible to root myself in Jesus, and I'm responsible to build myself up. But that's really not what Paul's getting at here. I hope you see that. When we receive Jesus as Lord in our lives, we are called what Paul calls in Christ. He mentions in Christ or in him actually eight times in this passage. And what does that mean? It means that you and I, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we receive him as our Lord, it means that our, our lives are entered into an unbreakable and unending union with Jesus. Being in Christ, and hear this, totally and completely rest on Jesus and his finished works. It's not our efforts. The thrust of the original language here is in verses 6 and 7 is to walk in what Jesus has already rooted and already built up and already established in us. The Colossians did not root or build themselves up, and neither do we. That's God's work. So walking in him does not mean God's doing God's work for him. It means keeping our hearts and our minds connected to this truth about Jesus, what he has done for me, and how, now who I am now in him, just as we have been taught. So this is what I want you to get here. The real discipline for us who, walk, who are in him is not how we walk, not what we do or don't do. No, the real discipline for us keeping is us keeping our focus on who we are walking with, what he has done for us and who we are in him. Paul doesn't want to see us walking in Jesus in terms of requirements. He wants us to see our walk with Jesus in terms of relationship. The folks of walking Jesus should always start with connection to him, not correcting our own behavior for him. Hear that. Hear that, church. My mother was a missionary kid, and she was raised in Columbia, South America. And I had the privilege of going down and visiting several times as a young boy, visiting uh, my cousins and my family and friends that were still down there. And I remember navigating international airports as a young child with my parents, uh, one was pretty intimidating. It was one that was outside of Pasto, Colombia, way up in the Andes in the southern part of, uh, 
uh, southern part of uh, Colombia. I remember landing, and there was cows that were chained up along the, the, the uh, sides of the runway. They were the, the lawnmowers. And you landed, and there was lots of sights, sounds, and smells that were very different uh, for, for me as a little boy. And I, I remember feeling a little overwhelmed by what I saw. But my first instinct wasn't to figure out how to navigate it myself. My first instinct was to do what? My first instinct was to find my dad. My first instinct was to look to dad to see where he was. I knew that if I stuck close to him, I'd make it. See, the discipline for me in getting through that airport wasn't me trying to navigate everything on my own, protecting myself. What got me through that airport was believing in, trusting, and keeping connected to my father. It was, it was walking in my father's presence and power that got me through. I know you see the connection. What about you? How is your walk today? Life can be a whole lot like a Colombian airport. There's lots of things that are scary, intimidating. But where are you spending your time and your energy? Just ask yourself, are you trying to make your way on your own? Or are you working to stay with him, to stay in him, to stay by him, to stay connected to the Lord of the universe who saved you? That's the nature of Paul's call today. Hear that. Well, Paul continues this uh, call to action at the end of verse 7. Notice what it says, that abounding in thanksgiving. Our walk in him is to be fueled by what? By gratitude, by thanksgiving. Gratitude is really one of the most powerful tools in the Christian toolbox that we don't use enough. What happens when you're grateful? What are you acknowledging? Well, first of all, you're acknowledging that you have a need, right? You're grateful. When you're grateful, you're acknowledging there's some need that I have. You're also acknowledging that that need has been met by somebody. Now think about us. Our greatest need, our separation from God, being dead in our trespasses and sin, our greatest need has been met by the greatest person being in the universe. That's something to be grateful for. That's something to be grateful for. Being grateful to Jesus keeps us where we belong while keeping him where he belongs. So Chapel Street, North Aurora, how goes your walk, really? How goes your walk? First off, let me ask you this. Do you have Jesus right? Too often I, I open up social media and I see people saying, not my Jesus. We tend to make Jesus in our own image. Who is the Jesus that you are following? Is it the Jesus that we just heard about, that we just read about in Philippians 1, 15 to 20? Or is it a Jesus of your own making? Saving faith, faith that unites us to Jesus, starts with the right understanding of the Savior. We have to get that. Whose work are you relying on to save you? Whose work are you relying on to save you? Is it yours or the finished work of Jesus? Again, saving faith that unites us with Jesus rests and relies on the work of the Savior, not our own. Not our own. Are you grateful for Jesus and his finished work? Do you thank him? Again, gratitude keeps Jesus and his work where they belong while keeping us where we belong. Jesus is the Savior. We are the saved. Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. God, help us to walk in him, in that relationship all the days of our lives. Just as Paul calls the Colossians to be grounded in, in their union with Jesus, 
he follows up with a caution. A caution to guard against counterfeits. Look at verse 8. A caution against counterfeits. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So what's going on here? Well, to consider what's happening here, we need to understand what's happening in Colossae at the time. Now, we're not exactly sure. Scholars will will argue what exactly is happening, but here's the deal. There's some person or some group of people who are trying to add extra requirements to what it means to be saved, to what it means to be in Christ. They're saying you could only be saved by doing certain things or by not doing certain things. And you could only experience the real power and presence of Jesus through extreme practices of giving things up or ecstatic experiences. You had to go have mysterious mountaintop experiences if you really wanted to know who Jesus was. Now we're going to be talking a lot more about those things next week, but I hope you see the huge problem here. The Colossians are in immediate danger. And what's the danger? Paul says it clearly that they're going to be captured, literally carried off and enslaved by something. It's, it's, what is this thing? It's a philosophy. Now you might be thinking, okay, that means I didn't have to take the philosophy class, right? No. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying that all philosophy is bad. He is giving, he's saying that there is a specific, particular philosophy that is dangerous and deadly. And it's a philosophy that says Jesus is not enough. It's a philosophy that says Jesus is not central and that what Jesus accomplished is not sufficient. It says that you need Jesus plus this or you need Jesus minus this to be saved and secured. And Paul goes on to give explicit detail about this type of philosophy. Again, look at verse 8. It's empty deceit. It's hollow. It promises everything and it delivers nothing. It's not true. It's according to human tradition. It's man-made. It does not come from God. Therefore, it will fail. And then finally, it's according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. It's driven by forces that oppose God's purposes. They hate God and they want to lead people away from him. Pastor Sam Storms describes this type of philosophy in this way. Listen to this. Any philosophy or theology that says Christ was necessary but not sufficient, we have more. We have the fullness of divine wisdom. And the power that is, isn't, available, isn't available merely in a relationship with Jesus Christ is demonic and must be rejected. I hope you hear that. I hope you feel that. When we add or take anything away from who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf, we're moving into the range of demonic. They're imploring us to not believe or follow any teacher or teaching that adds, changes, or removes anything again, as I've said. We've got to get Jesus right. We've got to get him right. Our hope is Jesus plus nothing. Our hope is Jesus minus nothing. Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. I think of the words of Edward Mote, longtime pastor of Rehoboth Church at the southern tip of England. I had to get an England reference in, Andrew. He understood this when in 1934 he penned these famous words and he set them to music. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, who Jesus is. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
All other ground is sinking sand. Chapel Street, North Aurora, we need to get Jesus right. That's how we walk in him. And that's how we keep ourselves from being caught and captured in meaninglessness and hopelessness. Again, Jesus is everything and Jesus is enough. Well, you may be saying, well, John, what can I do? How do I keep Jesus and make sure that I'm getting Jesus right? Well, I don't have a lot of things to offer. But one thing that I've given my life to is this book. If we want to get Jesus right, we need to be people of the book. You need to read this book. Because this is the only place that you will get the proper picture of who Jesus is. This book is breathed out by God. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's alive and active. It penetrates the soul. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's a delight when we meditate on it. We're like a tree that's planted by water. And when we hide our hearts in this, we fight sin in our lives. So why read this book? Why do all those things happen? Because this, it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus, who he is and what he has done. So reading this book keeps Jesus big, where he belongs, in our hearts and minds. And when Jesus is all that he's supposed to be, in our lives, and we are working to stay connected with him, we see the counterfeits for what they are. They're fakes that lead to nowhere. So if you want to stay grounded in Jesus, get into the word. That's my action step for you today. Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. But just to make sure that we get this message, the Apostle Paul, again the overachiever, he doubles down. He doubles down, uh, guess what? He doubles down on Jesus. In verses 9 to 15, we're going to see this captivating vision of Jesus he, he offers. He wants us to be caught up and amazed and overcome by who Jesus is. You see, this, this section, uh, 2, 9 to 15, is really a virtual second stanza to the Christ hymn in, in chapter 1. But the pattern is a little bit different here. In, in chapter 1, 15 to 20, we have a pattern that says he is, he is, he is. There are these, these bold and clear declarations about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, if you noticed here in chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, the pattern is in him, you, in him, you. So the, the, the emphasis here is what Jesus has done for those of us who are in Christ. This is important for us to get. And it's almost, it's almost like Paul is having, he's almost like making it an infomercial. He's almost like a Billy, it's like a Billy Mays moment right here where he's going, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. He's going to keep, it's going to be, but wait, there's more. But it's not oxyclean, it's Jesus. So it's worth our attention. If Paul's saying there's more, let's make sure we're paying attention to it. So let's jump in, verses 9 and 10. What does it say? For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all ruler and authority. What does this say? Jesus is fully God. God is fully present in history in Jesus. You cannot lump Jesus together with any other power or any other authority. He is the head over everything. Now, are you ready for this? All the fullness of God is in Jesus. And you are filled 
with him. Those are just words we read in the page. Think about that reality. You have been filled in him. You've been given the fullness of Jesus. You are fully fulfilled. You can have all the fulfillment you need ever when you possess Jesus. There's no need to look anywhere else. Family of God, you are complete and fulfilled in Jesus. There is no thing, no idea, no person that can offer anything more. There is no one or nothing or nowhere to go that, where you can feel more complete, more content, and more fulfilled apart from Jesus. Putting our hope and placing our identity in anything and everything else will lead us to being hollow and empty. The Colossians were being tempted and they were being lured to believe that Jesus was not enough. And that they needed something else. Paul is reminding them and us again that we are complete in Jesus. Chapel Street, North Aurora, hear that. Don't just read these words. You, are, you, have, you can experience the fullness of God. The fullness of God dwells in you. You are filled and fulfilled in Jesus. Joey, you are filled and fulfilled in Jesus. Clint, you're filled and fulfilled in Jesus. Julie, you're filled and fulfilled in Jesus. I wish I could grab each of you by the shoulders look you in the eye and say that. That God that, that we just read about, that we just read in that Christ hymn, he, he's in me, and he's in you. We have the presence and power of God in our lives. Paul wants us to feel that, and I hope you do. but wait, there's more. <laughs> Jesus is, does more than just fill us if there's, as if there's anything else we need. He's marked us, and he's claimed us as his own. Look at verses 11 and 12. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised in him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, in the time of Paul extending back to Abraham, circumcision, which was the removal of the foreskin of Jewish boys at eight days old, was, was an identity badge. It signified that you were included as a member of God's people, that you belonged. It was a symbol that you had access to all the blessings of God's covenant promises. You, you were blessed. It was a sign of personal commitment and obedience to God's holy law. It means that you were set apart. But what Paul is talking about here is not this physical right to circumcision. No, he's talking about a much better new circumcision, a spiritual circumcision that was accomplished by Jesus himself on the cross. And what does it mean for you? It means that if you were in Christ, your old ways have been cut away, and you are now marked as a member of God's people. You are in the family. You are part of the body through no work of your own. It means that you have access to all the blessings that have come from being a child of God through no work of your own. It means that God's holy law has been obeyed and has been fulfilled in Jesus' work on the cross. You have been granted all the gifts that God offers. It's all an act of grace, sheer grace of God for you. 
And Paul continues in verse 12, and he shifts from the rite of circumcision to the rite of baptism. What is baptism? It's, it's an outward symbol. It's a declaration. It's a representation of what God has accomplished in us through Jesus. When we're in Christ, we, we identify with and accept the benefits of what Jesus has done for us through saving faith. So both phrases, you were circumcised and being buried in baptism, points to all of us as believers to our union with Christ. When we receive Christ, we experience union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We now have the gift of God's presence and God's power. But it also means that you are part of God's people. You have a new identity, a new family, a new home with all of its rights and privileges. You belong. You belong. One final thought here on circumcision and baptism. If you notice, there are signs that are performed on you by someone else. This is not something that we do our own power on our own behalf. They have been done for you in love and out of grace by God himself. Again, hear me when I say you belong, you are home. Don't be captured by counterfeits. They're shiny baubles that mean nothing. Be captivated by this Jesus who made a way for all of us spiritual orphans to find a way home. But wait, there's more. Not only are we filled with all the fullness of God, not only do we belong to the family of God, but look at verses 13 to 15. And now you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made together alive in him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right, we can go home. <laughs> there is so much to unpack here. But make sure you're hearing what Paul is saying. Be captivated by Jesus because in him you are alive. Without Jesus, you're dead to God. You're separated from him. But now that you've received new life in Jesus, you are made new. You are a new creation. You are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. You are created to do good things. You are alive in Jesus and dead to your old self and old ways. Paul is saying that to the Colossians. He's saying it for me and he's saying it for you. But more than simply being alive, you are forgiven and you are free through Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection, you are forgiven. The debt that you can never pay has been covered. You are free. The judgment against you has been set aside. It's gone. It's gone. It's canceled. It's nailed to the cross. And we think of our sins as a little, little a stick, sticky note, right? No. It's the phone book that's nailed to the cross that we could never pay for. Jesus has nailed your sins to the cross, all of them. You are declared not guilty. You are free. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and that is you. There is no condemnation. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. You are alive, you are forgiven, and you are free. The new has come and the old has passed. Are you captivated yet? For those of you who, don't, who know me, you know that adoption is a big part of my story. I'm an adopted son. 
I'm an adoptive father and I have four adopted nieces. Adoption is a beautiful thing. One of my friends said it's one of the most Christian things you can ever do. But adoption is also hard. And I know in my own life, um, I've struggled and I've agonized as I've watched my adopted daughter struggle with what I call an orphan mentality. An orphan mentality is, is when you live like an orphan and you reject what is true about the present and you live in the past. And you can't accept or believe or receive the good gifts of the new identity that you have in your new family. You never quite feel like you belong or that you are home. And I've been at this pastoring thing for about a quarter century. And I've been trying to follow Jesus for a little bit longer than that. And oh, how I see the same struggle on a spiritual level. We who have been adopted into God's family, who can call on our Abba Father at any time right now, how often do we live in fear and return to the slavery of our past lives without God? Paul wants us to fight this mindset with all that we have by remembering who Jesus is and remembering who we are in him and walking in that truth every day. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 up there again. You see, on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus not only provided a way for personal salvation for each of us, but he achieved total cosmic victory. Total cosmic victory. The imagery here would have been very clear to the Colossians. In the Roman world, when generals or kings or emperors would return victorious from battle, there would be a whole stage of uh, parades. First, they would bring in all the loot, all the stuff that they had taken from the captured cities or kingdoms. And they would say, look at, how, look at all the stuff we got. Then they would bring in the slaves, and they would bring in the common people. Then they would bring in the lords. Then they would ultimately bring in the king. And they would be, lay more and more shame on all these people that were walking through the streets. Why? To give glory to the generals and to the, to the emperor of how great they were. Well, Paul is painting an interesting picture here, and he's turning this, this picture that the Colossians would have had in their heads, he's turning it on its head. Why is he doing that? Well, he's, he's picturing the death and burial and resurrection of, Je- of Jesus, while, while that's a total humiliation and defeat at first glance. He's turning that and showing that it's actually nothing short of the total disarmament of the spiritual forces that wage war against him. They no longer have any power over us who are in Christ, and one day they will be put to public shame, and their destruction will be complete because of Jesus and his humiliation and death on a cross. And you know what? We get to partake in that victory because we are in him. Chapel Street, North Aurora, you are more than conquerors. Through him who loved you and gave himself for you. You are alive in Jesus. You are forgiven by Jesus. You are free through Jesus and you are triumphant with Jesus. Walk in this reality. Walk in this reality. Live it. This is truth. As you already heard me share, part of my story is being adopted. And it was something that was celebrated in my home. 
It was a good thing. My parents helped me understand that I was doubly chosen and that I understood what it meant to be a Christian more than they did because we're all adopted into God's family. But there were hard parts too. I remember in sixth grade being called a very coarse term for someone who was illegitimate. And I knew my story and I knew that I was illegitimate. And I went and looked it up in a dictionary. This is before Google. And I was crushed. There was a word for people like me. I went home to my mom. I said, Mom, is this true? Is this who I am? She sat me down. And she told me a story. I was born in New Jersey a long time ago. And back then, what would happen when you were adopted, what, at your, when you were one year old, you would go before the court. And my mom told me, that she went before the court and there was a judge there who got it. And she said this judge wrote down and then declared legitimacy over me. He said, your son is legitimate. Your son is fully and legitimately a Bechtel with all of its rights and privileges. He spoke and recorded this as a sign that I belonged. I was a full member of the Bechtel family. I had a new name, I had a new identity, and I belonged, and I was home. And no word, and no one, and no thing could change my standing, ever. It was not something I did. It was all done for me. It was declared over me. It was good. It was gracious, and it was a gift. People of Chapel Street, North Aurora, I'd like to switch the tables and stand here today and declare the truth over you of who you are. Because you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you are filled and fulfilled with all the fullness of God, each and every one of you. You are part of God's family. You belong. You are home. You are alive. You are alive to Jesus. You are alive to good. You are alive to light. You are dead to the old ways. You are dead to yourself. You are dead to your sins. You are forgiven completely, fully, totally. There is nothing you can do to earn or merit more forgiveness. Your sins have been nailed to the cross, and you bear it no more. And you are free. You are free in Christ. You are free from your old self. You are free from the slavery of sin. You are free to follow him and free to live the lives that God has called you to. And one day, you will triumph with Jesus and through Jesus over everything that is wrong and broken in this world. And it will be the way it is supposed to be. We will all be united in him. I declare that over each and every one of you who has made a decision to follow Jesus. Family of God, no one or nothing can alter these truths or take them away from you. Hear me when I say that. 
In closing, I can't help but think of the words of, of David in Psalm 103 where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. Family of God, there is nothing more practical and applicable than meditating on who Jesus is and what he has done and remembering and rejoicing in the benefits he has brought to your life. Let's be captivated by Jesus. I think there's no better way for us to end this service than by observing the Lord's table. The Lord's table is the place that Jesus commanded us to remember who he is and what he has done for us. So as I pray to close this, this serv- the sermon, I'd like you to join me in preparing your hearts to remember and rejoice together through Jesus and with Jesus and for Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus, who is fully God. We thank you that he is in us and that through him we are free, we are forgiven, we are alive. May we live in these truths. And Father, now as we go to your table, we come rejoicing in what you have done. We come recognizing that that our walk in you is based upon a relationship. So Father, help us to search our hearts and know where we are walking with you or where we are not walking with you. Do that, we pray. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned the Lord's table is a time to remember and rejoice at what Jesus has done for us. A, qu- a quick reminder, here at Chapel Street Church, we have an open table. If you are in Christ, if you have accepted him as your Savior and you are seeking to follow him as your Lord, this table is for you. This is a family meal. We want to eat this together. Let me pray and we will start. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for a life of perfect obedience. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for the shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. Father, now may we remember and rejoice in what you have done. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it. And he said, this is, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. Thank you, Father.